from the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas. It's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. Joining me today is Gary Peterson. Gary is the Air Division System Coordinator and the TW International Vice President, who's also on the Exec Committee in Negotiations. Today, we're going to discuss the MNR as well as the MLS tentative agreement. Uh, let's get started, Gary. First of all, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on today, Brian. Okay, let's start. Uh, let's just start with uh, really the the heart of any contract would be recognition and scope. Yeah, sure. So um, on maintenance scope, and, and I'll delve into stores a little bit here in a minute, but on maintenance scope, besides the system and station protection, the contract will provide for another, this, and I'll start with base maintenance. We've negotiated out of maintenance spend to a minimum of 50% of all aircraft overhaul hours billable, plus 2,600 members in the AO and dock and shop positions. Now that's different than overall base maintenance. So that's in AO, just in shop and docks. We've also secured um, additional work in engines and APUs, as well as in components that'll be done in-house, which which further increases the number of mechanics or base maintenance heads that we'll have working uh, overall. You know, the, the company's obligated under, under the new agreement to maintain that minimum of 2,600 in the AO positions. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing. I think when everybody sees the actual language it'll make a little bit more sense but i want to lead out with that it, to, to give them a better sense of understanding that we've secured specific engine and apu work as well as other component work and how that adds well beyond the 2600 heads will be written into the agreement this only solidifies you know more work that comes into base maintenance um, rather than what people are perceiving to be less than the current number i think in totality once they read it they'll understand it to be significantly important because we don't have a floor today and that's again in addition to our system and station protections. Now, when we talk about line maintenance, again, let's, you know, peel that onion back, so to speak. In line maintenance, now we have a guarantee of a minimum of 26 line stations as part of the agreement that are written into the agreement. Along with that, we've secured all of the domestic scheduled maintenance. Beyond that, the international outsourcing, which was our, our primary fight, we've, we've been able to negotiate into where we'll own uh, anywhere between 88 and 89% of all scheduled line maintenance worldwide, meaning internally done by us, our organization, through the association, TW and I am together collectively. We'll own between 88 and 89% of all that scheduled maintenance. And on the outsourcing side, that'll give them the ability to have about 11 to 12%. But it's based on 2,080 hours and it's a look back for us. So again, this will be laid out in the agreement. It, it, it's something that now, again, solidifies exactly what can or can't be done, and we'll be able to monitor this in a significantly different way than we have been able to do in the past using maintenance spend. That's in addition to several other things along the way that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Okay, what about GSC and facility maintenance? So for GSC and facilities maintenance, um, GSC, we've we've secured 14 stations that are written into the agreement where all the ground equipment work will be done. So again, these will be embedded in the agreement. The language will be clear where members will be able to see exactly what scope net we now own versus a lot more questioning of what is or isn't outside the scope of the agreement. So that's that's important as well as on our facility side. Again, that's one of the areas where we, we, we tried to make leaps and bound gains. I think what, what we came up with was the 
the company's perspective on the facility side is that they do intend ultimately to trend downward overall on the system. However, I believe in our hub cities, we got some language that does provide significant protections. Again, everybody under the agreement is system and station protected. So it's important for everybody to understand that you know, outside of a force majeure, which we've we've talked about, or at least I've talked about before, there will be protections for everybody that's currently on property. Even in a force majeure, we're able to secure some language that we didn't have before if that were to happen and there was some sort of reduction. And that, that again, I don't want to mislead anybody. That's in the language of pretty much every agreement that I'm aware of in the air industry. That language does provide our members seniority to exercise their seniority if there was some sort of force majeure. And then I just want to touch on the MLS folks as well, Brian. On the MLS side, they'll follow the MNR agreement where the mechanics are at. So they'll be in at least a minimum of 26 cities on all three shifts. Okay. Now, I know that when we negotiate, uh, obviously we're negotiating with American Airlines for a contract, but uh, really we're negotiating against the industry. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, and again, I think Doug Parker said it in one of the town halls is we've gotten back into leapfrog bargaining, um, or he framed it that way. And I would say we've we've leaped past everybody. Now we've we've got the bar that everybody needs to catch up to as far as the industry goes. And again, if you look at, and I'll just I'll just go through um, United is a prime example. They're probably our closest, what I would say, competitor that you would look at on a net net basis. You know, they've they have protections in their agreement for their base locations. They have certain protections for their line. I don't think it's as clear um in their agreement is is our agreement now but overall i think what we we've done is is we've solidified exactly what work can or can't be done um in or outside the uh, you know our workforce and our, our workers and as far as they go you know i think united has about eight thousand aircraft mechanics to 796 aircraft again ours is substantially higher we're we're higher by a few thousand. Delta, while everybody likes to prop up Delta, Delta has no language. Obviously, they're non-union, so the company can pretty much pick and choose what they do or don't want to do. And, you know, and a component of this, we'll talk about it a little bit, is the profit sharing. We're able to solidify that. And I think the third one that now we've been compared to is Southwest and Ampha. You know, their scope at Southwest provides for a minimum of 2.75 maintenance employees per aircraft, not mechanics, but maintenance employees per aircraft, which are currently at 775. So that gives them a guarantee of about 2,000, roughly 65 jobs that they have to staff. So just kind of put it in perspective with 775 airplanes, they have to staff under their agreement roughly that 2,065 from all groups. And when we talk about the 2,600 on our side, we're talking specifically to base maintenance AO. And then you have to add on top of that. That's not the the facilities folks or the folks that support it. And then that doesn't take any consideration at that point for the 88 or 89% we have in line maintenance. So the number is, is for what we've secured is, is much, much greater than anyone has in their agreement written in. And I think, again, with leapfrog bargaining, what we've created now is the new standard for scope that everybody's going to have to chase. Okay. Well, I know the uh, contracts, uh, obviously more than one uh, article. Let's move to, uh, we're going to skip around a little bit, so we're not going to go through everything today. Obviously, before the members uh, have the opportunity to vote, they'll have everything to look at in full text language, correct? Yeah, absolutely. We will be, um, that's what we're crafting um, or have been crafting is that final text proposal to go out to everybody. So we're doing this podcast a little bit in advance of that, but the TA language, full text, what the contract is will be in front of everybody for their review. And a lot of the details, you know, devil's always in the details. And I'm the first one to say that are embedded in the agreement. So folks will have time to look at that and make sure they understand clearly what they're voting on. As far as transfers and promotions, 
promotions go with us locking in the the 26 cities all that work is our work obviously today we have more than the 26 that's the minimum that's the floor so to speak that they have to have in line maintenance and then that same floor and base maintenance so as people um leave we'll be backfilling uh, there's no doubt we'll be we'll be hiring for a while okay what about reduction force recall and voluntary furlough so again, everybody's system and station protected. That's under the agreement data ratification. So that'll be the first piece of it. Again, force majeure, I always like to leave that caveat in is to say if there's a force majeure, um, unlike had been done under 9-11, and hopefully we never have a situation like that again, but people were just laid off. In our new language, it will have the ability for somebody to exercise their seniority so long as somebody is junior to them on the system. And a, a significant change, and again, it wouldn't apply under this current language, but if there was a reduction, just a standard reduction, going forward, there's no more juniority pool. You bump anywhere in the system where somebody is junior to you, your seniority is true at that point. Perfect. Here's another big one that was always a company policy on the legacy AA side, shift trades and swaps. Yeah, there's been some confusion on shift trade and swaps. And again, when the language comes out, everybody will see it. I think the main thing is to understand that I believe in, and don't quote me on this because I don't have it right in front of me, but there's language on the swaps. The swaps basically are one for one. It's when you give away the shift that, that you can all, you know, it's limited on how many you can do. So again, I think that's uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 32 per quarter. That's giveaways, you know, total, not working any type of swap on the backside. Okay. But you can work unlimited, correct? That does yeah, not count. Yeah. The work inside doesn't count. It's, it's the giveaway. I think that, that everybody needs to look at. Again, we're talking M&R, but maybe you can explain to everyone why uh, M&R had such a big leap. Fleet had, you know, I believe they were at 4.8. Uh, M&R was at 16. And yep. what's the difference there? Why did that happen? Yeah. So again, company's position on this was, you know, they're benchmarking us to the industry and, and they've always said, you know, they're going to make us the highest paid in the industry. We could argue um you know, X's and O's and say, well, you know, somebody's ahead of us here, we're ahead of them there. But the, the fact of how they did that is they, they took the best in the industry and they rolled that number in and their compensation, they believe hit that number. Now, the, whether we, you know, our proposal was different than the final number we ultimately agreed to. And that's, that's just negotiations, but this is where the company said they were willing to go. And I think if you lay it next one, next to the other, you'll see that it is clearly, um, you know, dollar for dollar, it lines up with the rest of the industry. Okay, Gary, on top of compensation, I know shift definition differentials in there. Can you talk about that? And were there any increases on your premiums? Yeah. So as far as the shift differential, we improve that from the current, you know, penny and things of that nature to the, the IMS agreement. Again, that's an area where we did pick up a taxi and run up premiums and also um, a penalty hour premium back in the book, as well as a clear paid lunch um, language that we uh, have had previously. Okay. So a lot tied to compensation there. Yep. What about overtime? So on overtime, uh, there's there's a double time built back in, a little different than we had done historically. This double time now will be based on hours. So if you're next up and you're on double time, you're gonna you're gonna be called in uh, under the old language. Many many years ago, we had double time. That was a you dropped to the bottom of the list and got called in. Going forward, you'll get called in if you're you're up next for overtime based on your hours. Were there any improvements on field trips and travel pay? 
So field trips is really uh, a whole new article, and everybody's going to have to digest it and read it. But yeah, there's a ton of change, um, for, I would say, for the better, specifically around field trips. One being the per diem and how it's paid out on you know all the hours, so you'll get that per diem a little different than it has historically. And it's also dependent on where you're at. Now, as far as the field trip rate, it's one and three quarters pay for the hours that you're working, and then eight, you get paid straight time for your rest period of eight hours to sleep, and then you come back in at one and three quarters time. So in essence. Since you would work basically a 16 hour day at one and three quarters for all those hours and then uh, you would rest and get paid straight time and then you would come at, for eight hours and then you come back on the clock at one and three quarters time beyond that there's also um, improvements as far as prior to the field trip compensation before we leave as well as compensation when you get back from the field trip okay and these next few things i want to talk about uh kind of goes for all groups uh let's start with holidays what's the improvements on the holidays yeah so obviously for our books we went from five holidays to ten and uh, those are paid at double time and a half Um, again there's some new language in there and it it talks about how the clock works on a 24-hour period so um, while we're getting double time and a half you could actually roll into triple time based around the scheduling and things of that nature one thing that's significant too is no longer, and, and again, this is more germane to MR in some of the areas. Now it is a seniority based system. So the holidays are based around seniority. So senior people will make the decision whether they're working or taking off. Okay. And is there, uh, if I've heard it right, and again, I'm, I'm not sure if it's all for all groups, uh, you can bank your holiday time for day at a time and stuff like that? Yeah, there's, uh, again, you can bank comp time um, and you can utilize it later. And that's, again, all these are spelled out in the agreement. It's, it's again, the fine tooth uh, comb through that you need to do um, once the language gets put out. And then we'll obviously spend more time, you know, going through those particular details. But on a high level, yeah, comp time's in there and, and there's different ways to, to put hours away. Okay, yeah, I'm sure everyone's ready to actually get all the uh, language so they can comb through it, like you said. What about vacations? So it's a little complex to try and talk to, but I think when we write it, it'll be a lot clearer and then we'll do a better job of putting out a little bit of a cleanup on that to make sure that everybody can figure out exactly where they fall in. And some, so some folks will get some you know, money for last year coming into this year. Everybody will pick up though going forward. And then two years out, again, that'll be in, written into the agreement. Down the road in a couple of years, there'll be a ton of so to speak, people that'll fall into that. Unfortunately, there's several of us that don't get it right away. So this was where we settled out at on one of those final things to get get to an agreement. Okay. And this uh, next one, I know it's been a point of contention for uh, M&R. I know sick leave, uh, if I remember right, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not my title group, but you guys got like a half pay on your first day of calling in sick or something like that. Can you expand on that? Was there any improvements? Yeah. So again, that's another one where everybody gets paid full sick day. Um, there's, there's some language in there again, new language that talks about, you know, obviously we get 10, 10 sick days a year versus, um, the five that we currently have. And that'll lay out in the agreement, but everybody's paid their full sick day for every day that they use sick time. Okay, and on sick leave, what about the bank? Did that increase? Yeah, so the sick leave bank is uh, has moved up to sixteen hundred for most of the group. Um, the MCTs have a two thousand uh, caveat currently in their agreement, and that stays the same. So yeah, it's up to sixteen hundred hours of sick time, and and what folks will see is that that sick time. We'll talk about this a little bit further, and you can use that to roll into an HRA for uh, pre-retiree medical and uh, retirement benefits. 
retirement benefits are the same. And let me go back on the sick time. So one change in the sick time is any any hours you have accumulated, if you want to cash them out, they'll be paid at 100%. So, you know, irrespective of, of where you are as far as it's no longer the $25 a day at retirement. If you leave the company and you want to cash that money out, that provision is there that you could cash it out for 100% any hours you have banked. Okay, Gary, uh, let's talk about retirement benefits. The retirement caveat is that if you choose to take that sick time bank that you have, you can convert it to an HRA. Now that is, you got to be a retiree, retirement age, you know, and, and qualify for that under the provisions. Again, this will all be spelled out, but that HRA will be paid at 50%. So there's some tax advantages of doing that, but that'll be, you know, at 50% of your hours. Okay, moving on from retiree benefits, there's been a lot of talk about uh, health benefits. Can you talk uh, a little bit about that? Yeah, so again, the health care benefits has um, been a lot of, there was a lot of time spent on this. And again, um, one of the things that, you know, we, we tried to do was capture all of the IM's benefits that they currently have and add those as a supplement for our membership. And there's a lot of Me Too clauses in our side on what we have, and, and that would drive Obviously, the company's view was that would drive a lot of other groups to get those benefits as well. So as the conversations progress, the one thing, you know, we're not going to take something away from any group out there. And, and so the company ultimately came back and said, you know, that they would be willing to keep the IAM folks grandfathered in their current plans with some caveats in that the 100% obviously for them would go away um, in next open enrollment. And then the five, the I'm sorry, the 90% plan kind of rolls out down the road and the 80% plan stays intact. Obviously, it's, it, it, that was one of the things that we were unsuccessful in achieving for our membership. Um, again, we weren't going to take it away from another group. That wouldn't be something that the, the union would do. The company put this proposal out that this is what they were willing to do. And again, this is one of those that, you know, as you work through the negotiations, you you get to a point where there's only so much you can do. If, if And again, in this particular case, if we weren't able to get it, our, our objective isn't to take it from somebody. And, you know, I, I, I can just lead into, just segue into another statement that I've, I've heard on that, Brian, and that's, you know, when it comes to the bonus or what we we were arguing for as far as retro um again the company put the 3000 and 6000 in place and and it was basically these are the numbers and and again it's a negotiation so those were fundamentally their positions that we weren't able to get them to see through our lens that we wanted to maybe distribute it differently um, and look at years of service or skill set or, you know, how we would do that. Obviously, fleet and maintenance are two different conversations, but using the the maintenance book for this conversation, the 6,000, you know, I've heard, well, it's not fair that this guy gets as much as I do. And, and we could run that a hundred different ways. At the end of the day, what we're not going to do, and I'll, I'll just say this bluntly, is we're not going to leave money in the company's pockets to, to take it away from somebody else in our union. So the 6,000 was the number. They didn't want to give it to us as a rolled up number and let us decide how we would distribute it. We're certainly not going to go in there and say, well, don't give everybody 6,000, give a, you know, an XYZ a little less here and a little less there. We're going to take every penny we can from this company. They've taken enough from us along the years. Yeah, I don't disagree. And obviously I know that, uh, that you didn't land on everything where you wanted. I get that. And I think everyone understands that, you know, that we were obviously trying to get a lot more than we did. With that said, and you mentioned force majeure earlier, did the coronavirus play any into negotiations at all? Because, I mean, that thing's amping up, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, perspective-wise, we have to look at everything. The The last couple of months haven't been, um, or 
uh, great for for what's going on in the airline industry overall. What I will say is that you know we didn't move off of our positions um, in any way, shape, or form. The company really didn't move off of their positions, but we did get to a point where we had those five open items that we you know presented in late December and vacation being one of them. We didn't get what we really wanted, but we got a piece of it. And so those those elements came into play. We obviously didn't get more uh, in pay from you know the other the, the comparators, but at some point you have to figure out where that cross line is, is, is you do start losing. And is there anything more to gain? And obviously we saw it as it was time to, you know, take what we had on the table, agree to certain things that, you know, maybe a little bit harder to swallow, but you know, the, the philosophy is, is look at it in totality. And what I would say is if you take all the pros and line up all the pros in this contract as a TW member and, and write them down. And then on the next column, you put the cons the pros are, are significantly greater than the cons. And, and I would say that if you really look at the cons, they're, they're, they're not horrible. You may not like, a, everybody's not going to like everything in the agreement. And, and then I'll give folks. But when you really look at it, the cons aren't horrible cons. They're just something that we may not like. But in totality, I think the agreement speaks for itself. It's by far the, the, the language gives us the best protection in the industry. The pay is on par with the best in the industry. The, the fact of, you know, we didn't touch on this, but the 401k with the 5% automatic contribution and, and, and that piece of it, again, you can, you can, you can make arguments any way you want, but when you look at it in totality, these agreements are really that by far they lead the industry. And, and I think a lot of other groups have a lot of catching up to do once, once, so to speak, we get these ratified. Yeah, I would, the, for me, you know, the way I look at it, it, you know, if there obviously there's some cons, we didn't get everything we wanted. But if you look at the things that you don't like, I guess you have to ask yourself the question that if I vote this uh, agreement down for that, will that particular article or item get better? Well, what I can say is, is that you reopen the bargaining session if that were the case. And I, I wouldn't say that that's a, a, a looking at again, looking at all the pros and cons. I don't know what that looks like. What I can say is, is that it starts the process over. I know people out there say, well, if you do this, then they have to do that. There's no, they have to do anything. They can go in and, and repropose or regress. And, and that's been done before. So this isn't something new. It's not something that, you know, anybody, you got to make a decision. You got to look in the mirror and make your decision, a yes or a no vote. I would challenge anybody on, on doing that though, to really think through, this is the first time in a long, long time that we have all these pros and, and, and a little bit of what I would argue aren't victories, so to speak, of what we wanted. But in totality, the agreement really speaks for itself. And, and again, this is an agreement that going forward, we still have to build off of. There'll be another round of bargaining in a few years. We got to prepare for that and we'll, we'll engage again. And we got to be smart in that engagement. But this was a monumental task combining the, the two books together to get to this point. We've done that. And I think if you look at everything inside, we've done pretty damn good. Yeah, I don't disagree, honestly. And uh, I think it's one of those things where I do think that members need to wait till they see the language to where they can actually see. I see a lot of people speaking out on emotion now. And I understand that. I mean, everybody is, is very opinionated. They've waited, uh, waited a very long time for this. But again, I hope that everyone takes the time and uh, does their own due diligence. Yeah. So we've always said, you know, we get an agreement 
that you need to see all the elements of it. People are making emotion. You hit it on the head, emotional things without seeing the language and even knowing what's there. And I'll go back to the 2,600 person floor and base maintenance. It's a great example of people don't know what all the elements are of that. So they think it's 2,600. It's not 2,600. There's several other components that go into it or the line maintenance side of it with the, you know, the percentage basis. You may have an 11 or a 12% basis in there, but it's based on 2,080 hours. And it's always tied back to the number of mechanics we have, which was not the company's proposal. So from those positions, those are monumental um, things that we can now one track to you know make sure that the company isn't gaming and three we have we have provisions in place the penalties in place that if they do go through those things they're written into the agreement and they're clear for the membership but they need to see that before they make emotional decisions and again um the highlights are just that they're highlights they're they're bullet points of things that we got but they don't tell the devil's always in the details and i expect everybody to get down in the weeds in the detail and really understand what what they're signing up for and i think when they read that they'll see Oh, this is good. Okay, well, we've talked uh, pretty extensively. I know we didn't cover the whole, uh, you know, every article and every item in the contract. But again, we could talk all day about this. At some point, we're going to get final language. We're going to put that out. Uh, You know, I appreciate the work that you've done and, and everyone else. There's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into getting to this point. And, uh, you know, from me to you, thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Brian. And I, and I ask everybody, you know, again, is is wait for the final language. Anybody that gets ahead of this is really doing themselves a disservice because, again, we, we have spent a lot of time, a lot of sweat equity into this from a committee perspective, making sure we dotted I's, cross T's, and we're doing our due diligence, again, in sync with this particular podcast. But when it's all said and done, I, I would say to everybody, you're going to find something you don't like. Don't get me wrong. But again, weigh out the, all the pros, weigh out those cons and see where you're at before you make a decision. Because again, you said it earlier, you may see a con in there that you don't like, and I may see a con that's different. And if we, if we start to look at it from the negative side, we're really losing touch with what, what the value is in today's agreement. This is a $4.2 billion, you know, set of agreements that are in place. There's differences in, in so to speak, what a mechanic's getting to a fleet clerk. But again, that was a comparator that the company came with to the industry. But when you lay it all out in totality is, is the question is, time value of money how much do you do value that money and and do you know what we might get and i'm first one to tell everybody i can't tell you what tomorrow might bring what i can tell you is what's on the table is what we're voting on and everybody needs to make a sound decision based on that and they really need to look themselves in the mirror and understand what what that choice is and again if it's if if you have a position of no you know that that that's your right and and that's your right to choose, so to speak. But I would ask everybody in this particular case to take the time to really dial back and realize, is that no logical based on fact or emotion? And again, if it's an emotional-based decision, really think about what you're doing. Before we go, is there anything else? Nope, that's it. All right, well, I appreciate your time, and I thank everyone for listening. Thanks, Brian. For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at TWU.org forward slash divisions. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at TWU.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcatcher, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. 
Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.pwu.org. Music provided under license by Pond5.com. PWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Engel.